This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome, everyone, to another week of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and I'm here with Brian Calm. Hi, everybody. We're here to give you another dose of fantasy hockey advice gold, so strap in. We've got a lot of players to talk about. Before we do, let's just quickly remind our listeners, we've got a Twitter account, at Keeping Carlson. If you have fantasy hockey questions, you send it to us. We'll answer them both on Twitter and on the air, perhaps. Also, send us an email if you have any feedback, keepingcarlson at gmail.com. All right, Brian, enough of this administrative crap. How'd you do this week? So my week this week has actually gone really well, and it's all thanks to a trade that I was able to make last week. So I'm going to skip a little bit ahead in the show and talk about that first. I made a trade because Devin Dubnik was just totally stressing me out. His numbers, Edmonton looks lost in the woods, and the fact that before the season, their GM, Craig McTavish, didn't really seem sold on him as being the team's established starter. I I was waking up every morning in fear of Dominic being usurped by Bachman or LaBarbera, which I didn't have to worry about in the end because I think it's a team problem. It's not Dominic. Uh, but I was worried that they'd pull the trigger on a trade, send him somewhere where he wouldn't be in such a great role, or bring someone in who replaces him as the number one goalie. So I looked at my roster. I had offense to spare. I offered Mike Richards along with Devin Dubnik. The original deal was Devin Dubnik, Ray Emery, and Mike Richards for Nicholas Backstrom, Josh Harding, and Wayne Simons. That was rejected, and so I had to look at guys who were really good on my team. I decided I could part with Brian Little and his almost 25% 5-on-5 shooting percentage. He's kept it up in the meantime. He had two goals, including the game winner in Saturday's game, but those are both categories I'm winning handily without him. The big story is in net, so I'm, I made the trade for Dubnik, Emery, and Brian Little for Nicholas Backstrom and Josh Harding. And about a few days later, my greatest fears about Dubnik were realized when the Oilers signed Brizgalov, who's going to challenge for playing time for the rest of the year. Dubnik tanks again this week and destroyed his new owner's goalie stats instead of mine, so I feel bad because, you know, I want everybody to win in a trade. But I'm really glad it's just not me. And meanwhile, Josh Harding, like I thought Nicholas Backstrom would be really the centerpiece of the trade and that Harding was sort of just on a hot streak, but he's killing it. He's got at least a point in eight straight starts and he's only given up more than two goals one time in his last 10 appearances. And if what he's doing does turn out to be a run of luck, which I'm not so sure it will, I've still got Backstrom. I've got the wild handcuffed. And that's the opposite of having Devin Dubnik on the Oilers. I'm confident I will get every Minnesota Wild start. They're a solid team defensively, and I'm really happy with the situation that I've gotten myself into. 
So I'm killing in the offense categories this week, which I've normally been doing. But in addition, I am also handily winning the goaltending categories for the first time all season, thanks to my trading of Devin Dubnik and Ray Emery and Brian Little for Nicholas Backstrom and Josh Harding. Wow, what a story. What an inspirational tale, Brian. And I'll tell you what I did with that extra roster spot as we get a little further into the podcast. I think you're going to be even more impressed. Have you heard back from the guy you traded with? No. Since? <laughs> no, I haven't. I Like I said, I, I want everybody to win when I make a trade because that means that maybe we'll get to trade again and it'll be easier the next time. I think it was a fair trade. And there was a little massaging. Like I said, I, I originally offered Richard's. And then he wanted Kyle Tourist from me and sort sort of little ended up being the middle ground. So we did like have a, a thought out negotiation. So I don't think he could be too upset. It's just mm-hmm. bad luck. He, and plus little has done well, like you were saying. Brian Little's doing great in Winnipeg. He's got 15 points in 18 games. He's among the lead leaders in goals with 10. So it's not like I gave him nothing. He, he's, he's doing all right. Brian Little is killing it which is amazing. He's doing really well. And that's as opposed to Evander Kane, who I picked super high in my draft. I think that was my second pick after picking Niemi. It's a keeper pool. So obviously it was like, you know, equivalent of a ninth round pick or something. But I assume Evander Kane would be the leader on the Jets. And right now he's only got 10 points in 16 games. Plus he missed a couple of games last week. I don't know. At this point, Brian, I'm curious to see who would you rather have on your team, Brian Little or Evander Kane? Well, especially in a keeper league, I would still take Evander Kane. I mean, he's an established scorer. He's got 86 goals in 277 career games. He had 17 goals in 48 games last year. He got 30 goals the year before. He's young, and he's still dangerous. He's the guy that Winnipeg is counting on to be a franchise player. So I'm, I wouldn't write him off based on his last what. What makes you concerned about Evander Kane? Well, okay, let's go back to the 27th of October. So since then, he's played four games. He's missed two games, but in the four games he's played, he has one assist. Plus, one of the big reasons I took him, I knew he wasn't a point-per-game player, but at least I knew he was going to be one of the league leaders in shots, which is a category in my league. But he's been getting one or two shots a game, basically. Like, far cry from his ten shots earlier in the season against Nashville. Right, but there's no reason to believe that he's not going to get back to that. He seems to think, from what I've read, that he was healthy scratched a little while ago, and maybe that'll be extra motivation for him to do better since that happened. That's the game he got his point in. In the most recent game, when the Jets beat Nashville 5 nothing, he had three shots on goal. So I would definitely hang in there. I would not panic about Evander Kane after a three-game pointless streak. All right, maybe I'm just venting. I had a weak week. A lot of my players who I thought were supposed to be my stars kind of decided to take the week off, also including Martin St. Louis, who I know for sure is going to be fine. So, all right. But yeah, so great trade for you, Brian. Sounds like you're winning. As you guys can assume from my tone, I'm not having such a great week. So aside from these sleeping forwards, I'm also just totally getting killed in goaltending because my two all-star goalies, Antti Niemi and Semyon Varlamov, well, I guess you guys all know how this sentence ends. So far, zero wins on the week and an atrocious save percentage. But again, Brian, I assume, obviously, you got to hang in with Niemi and Varlamov. Well, I mean, Varlamov, to, to date of this recording, he's, he's going to play Sunday, I think. 
but he's only played in one game this week. He had an 815 save percentage. He gave up five goals. But before that, he only gave up two goals in each of his three previous games. He never had a save percentage below 920. So call it a blip. That's only the second time in his last 10 games that he's had a save percentage below 920. All right. Well, you're also a Varlamov owner. And are you a bit concerned about A, how well Giguere has done in all of his appearances, and then B, the whole criminal issue going on? Yeah, I actually put Varlamov on the training block this week because I traded Dubnik because he was stressing me out. I've never, in the, in, in the league that I talk about the most, I've never felt comfortable with my goaltending situation. It's always been waiting for a guy who I thought would be a really good pick, like, I think I took Anders Lind back one year and Cam Ward another and Michael Newworth another. And it just never really worked out. So Varlamov is becoming stressful to me. And sort of my approach this year is to be aggressive, unload guys who are making me nervous. So he's on the trading block. I, I have no idea, though. I, I don't know anything about his legal situation. So I guess I just have my fingers crossed. But may I add that if he is guilty of anything, I hope he is punished appropriately. Okay, sure. But okay, let's just forget about the legal situation. We're not one of these soapbox NHL shows here. We just want to talk about the stats and about fantasy. So just forgetting about the legal situation, what about the play of Giguere? Every time he plays, he lets him zero or one goals. At some point, is there a fear that Colorado might just run with him? I don't think so. I think, in a sense, it's probably good for Varlamov. He gets to rest every now and then. His team is confident in their number two. I think Jaguar is number two. I don't think there's any question about that. Yeah, so aside from your amazing goalie trade, including Brian Little, did you make any other moves? Yeah, so I sort of had an empty roster spot. When I traded three players and only got two back, I also took Louis Erickson off injured reserve at the same time. So that sort of filled the spot. But who I would have dropped if Erickson wasn't yet healthy and who I did end up dropping anyway is Brian Gianta. He's not doing too badly. He's playing on the first line in Montreal. He's getting about a point every two games. But for me, uh, I sort of tend to think that half a point a game players are free agent fodder. They're, they're not for my team. I look for guys. Instead, I'd rather take somebody who's going to go streaking. In the fantasy hockey sense. <laughs> of course. So I saw that Tyler Toffoli was called up to the LA Kings from their AHL affiliate in Manchester to replace Jeff Carter after he showed up in a walking boot one day. So Toffoli, if you don't know him, is an established scorer in the OHL and in the AHL. He was a second round pick in 2010 for the Kings. And he was actually maybe going to make LA's opening night lineup. He had 11 points last year in 22 games played, including six in the postseason. But he was sent to the AHL instead, where he scored 12 points in 10 games, and that includes seven goals. So I don't know how long Jeff Carter will be out, but until he's back, I think Tyler Toffoli is a really good bet to fill in on LA's second line with Mike Richards and Dwight King. He's getting quality minutes right away. He's a top six forward. He's playing power play time on the first unit. And so he's probably worth more than the depth type players that you might have on your roster. He's got at least one point in every game he's played in the NHL so far this season, totaling two goals and three assists for five points with a plus two and 11 shots on goal in three games. So I picked him up. He had a three-point game and I didn't need the offense, like I said earlier, but I'm really excited that I have him on my team. 
Man, look at you. You must be riding high right now with these acquisitions. I gotta say, I mean, there's still games tomorrow and a couple of categories are close, but right now in my week, I'm up 10 nothing. But but the guy I'm playing, I feel bad because he's, he's had a lot of bad luck. He has Cam Ward on injured reserve. Brent Burns is injured. Uh, he has Evander Kane like you do. Christian Erhoff got injured. So he's just really having a rough time the last couple of weeks all around. Hey, well, you know what? Better you benefit than someone else who's playing against him. Absolutely. How about you? Did you make any moves or trades or add drops? Yeah, I've made a couple. Nothing major. A little while back, I decided I was going to drop Tomas Hurdle, as we've been talking about ever since we started this podcast. The guy I picked up so excitedly right before he had his four-goal game. So I do take credit for that. I feel like we're so close to changing this podcast name to Adding Dropping Hurdle. (laughs) Well, yeah, well, you'll see, because I dropped him because he just wasn't really doing anything for me, and I saw a couple really interesting options in the free agent pool, and basically my choice came down to Alex Killorn, who I had read had just been moved to the top line on Tampa Bay, this is after he had had this really great game, or Clark MacArthur, who is playing on the second line in Ottawa with Turris and Bobby Ryan, which is probably Ottawa's best line right now. And I ended up deciding to take Clark MacArthur based on the fact that he's playing top-line power play while Killorn is not. And afterwards, I sort of was regretting it since I was looking on Reddit and people were talking about, oh man, have you grabbed Killorn? you got to take Killorn. But you know what? Since I've made the move, Clark MacArthur's gotten a point in every single game. He's been on fire. Yeah, so at the time, I think you emailed me and... I said MacArthur right away, and then I hadn't realized yet that Killorn had been promoted to the first line, which is where he picked up a lot of points last year alongside St. Louis and Stamkos. Killorn's a guy, actually, I picked up earlier in the year when he was producing, and then when I realized he wasn't anymore, I dropped him. And yeah, when he was first promoted to the line, he had five points in two games. He has nothing in the two games since, even though Tampa has won both games and scored a combined seven goals. So I think MacArthur has definitely been the stronger player since you made the move. He's got points in eight of his last 10 games, including two multi-point games in there. And like you said, Clark MacArthur is playing on what is Ottawa's best line and one of the league's hottest lines, I think, with Torres and Ryan. So do you happen to know, is Killorn in those last two games, has he been playing on the top line in Tampa? Yeah, I'm checking out Left Wing Lock right now, and it seems like he is, which, by the way, this is a great resource to see who's playing with who. Check it out, leftwinglock.com. But yeah, Killorn's playing with Stamkos and St. Louis, but it doesn't really matter. I have St. Louis. He's not getting any points anyways. Stamkos is still getting goals, but yesterday, I think he had two unassisted goals, which doesn't help anyone, except for, I guess, Stamkos owners, but I don't care about them. I believe you called that garbage. Yeah, that is garbage. As soon as I see Stamkos scoring, I assume I'm going to get an assist out of that. <laughs> yeah, well, with yeah, well, with both his line mates, definitely. So that's sort of just bad luck, maybe. I didn't see the goals. <laughs> I have the the score app on my phone, and I set it up to send me a push notification whenever there's a goal, and it just sends the goal score. Then I have to actually go and swipe in to go and see who got the assist. And there were a couple of times I saw Stamkos last night, got excited, and then was disappointed. Oh man, the the score should really get on that. That seems like a deficiency. Yeah, actually, furthermore. When you go in, whenever there's a goal, then you go into the app. At first, it always says unassisted, and then you have to wait a while before they update the assist. I'd rather they just waited and only push it to me once they know who have the assist. But anyways, 
enough ragging on the score. Except also, they don't show the time on ice or the plus minus until after the game is over. And sometimes I like to know during the game what's the current status. And I know ESPN has that information, so why doesn't the score? You know what? I'm going to tweet at them after this podcast from the Keeping Carlson account, and maybe we'll find an answer. I hope so. So I drop Hurdle for MacArthur, but then... Patrick Eliash went into the IR, which again goes into my struggles this week. So I decided to just pick back up Hurdle. You know, might as well keep him again. I still like him. You know, he's still playing with Thornton. So I thought I'd ride him out at least until Eliash isn't injured anymore. So I have Hurdle back on my team. Another small move that I made is I dropped Andre Sekera, who I know you've also dropped since we've last talked, Brian. And I picked up Jake Muzzin from Los Angeles because I saw he was getting some points and playing a lot of minutes. Yesterday, he didn't really play many minutes and had zero points. So now I'm not sure if that was a smart move. Yeah, I think that was the knock on him going into the season that he had shown offensive promise, but he wasn't really being put in sustainable scoring situations by the Kings. So I think maybe he's just a flash in the pan, but as a short term option, is he better than the others available to you? I don't know. Now I'm thinking maybe I should have taken Gudas from Tampa Bay. He was swiped yesterday. What do you know about Radko Gudis? Well, I had never heard of him before the season started, as I'm sure most of our listeners will concur with. But, you know, he's got two points in his last three games. He seems to be playing big minutes on Tampa Bay all of a sudden. And, you know, just Tampa Bay is one of those teams where you kind of want to get people who are going to be on the ice with Stamkos and St. Louis, right? Right, or power play time alongside them as well. Yeah, it looks like Tampa Bay is mainly playing with four forwards on their power play, and they swap between which defensemen they have as the fifth player between Sammy Salo and Radko Gudas. So yeah, he is getting time. And his peripherals are pretty good too. If you're in a league that counts shot blocks, he's got 38 on the season. About 10 games ago, he had six blocks in one game. He regularly gets three or four. He's in the top 15 in the league in that category. He's also got 57 penalty minutes. That mostly came from one game last week or a couple weeks ago against Florida where he picked up 22. But maybe that's another added value from the enigmatic Radko Gudas. Yeah, so I might have made a mistake picking up Muzzin, but I guess I'll hang on to him for a couple of games. And if not, there are a couple of okay replacements in my free agent pool, including Andrew McDonald from the Islanders, Michael Delzato from the Rangers, or Eric Johnson from Colorado, who is someone I know you picked up recently. He is. I had to drop him because I had some guys coming off injured reserve. But can I ask you, is John Carlson available in your league? No, he is taken. Do you think that he's someone to go after? Well, I mean, he was really dry for a lot of the year. He wasn't doing anything. He had two assists and no power play points through 13 games. Um, But in his last four games, he scored three goals on nine shots. And I think that's, I mean, we're not expecting him to score three goals every four games, but when I drafted him, I expected him to, you know, be a 30 or 40 point player, and now it looks like he's on track for that. So if somebody in your league got impatient with that and he's in the free agent pool, now might be the time to go for it. Okay, take notes, everybody. Okay, so you dropped Hurdle, picked up MacArthur, dropped Sekera, picked up Muzzin, And then you put Eliash on the hour, so you picked up Hurdle again. Were there any other moves that happened in your league this week that caught your eye? Yeah, actually, there's been a lot of activity in the last few days. I thought it's pretty interesting. I thought I'd mention and get your thoughts. Maybe people in my league are listening. They could get some feedback on what they're doing. 
Also, by the way, listeners, if you notice any interesting moves in your league, send us in. We'd love to judge the people in your leagues. So there's a guy in my league who just joined this year. He He's replacing someone who left last year. And it's a, actually a good friend of mine who I vouched for. I said, oh, we should bring him in. He's a smart guy and fun. And I was a little worried because he wasn't really making any moves at all. He picked up a really good team from the from the guy who left. But he hadn't been making any moves. And I was wondering if he was ever going to do anything. But then last week, he just all of a sudden did a whole bunch of things. And I think they were all good moves. I'd be curious to get your thoughts, Brian. So in total, he dropped TJ Brody... Tyson Berry, and Michael Backlund, and he ended up adding Brendan Dillon, Radko Gudas, as we mentioned, Mikhail Grabowski, and he also was replacing someone who went into the IR and he picked up Tommy Wingles. So, I know that's a lot of names to throw out at you, but first of all, dropping Brody, Barry, and Backlund, do you see any mistakes from dropping any of those three Bs? So, yeah, I'm not sure, to, to start with, why the guy had those three guys on his roster at this point of the season anyway. TJ Brody has one point in his last nine on a pretty weak Calgary team that's probably overachieving right now. But even when they're overachieving, he's not putting up points. So I'm not really sure where the potential is there. And then Mikel Backlund had no points for eight games in a row. And Tyson Barry was sent down to the minors. So I'm not sure what took him so long especially when such capable replacements were there. Grabowski is a good one. Dylan and Gudas are both good guys to try out and see what happens. And Wingles sounds like a more temporary ad, but, I mean, as long as the Sharks are rolling, he's a good guy to have in your lineup. Yeah, I think of Wingles a lot like Hurdle. Like he's playing on a good line. He should get some points, but don't expect him to blow up. All right, so one thing I wanted to ask you about this week, Brian, is I kind of want to make a trade. And I don't know about you. I find it really difficult. I don't know who to offer. How, like you just made a really good trade recently. I'd love some advice. Specifically, as you could tell from earlier, I could really use a good defenseman at this point. And I think I'm doing okay on offense. I'm not really sure how to go about doing this. Do you have any advice for those listeners and myself on how to go about making a trade to improve your team without insulting other people in the league? Right. And that's that's the danger. And I think that's a fine line and one that I've probably crossed too many times in the past. But that changed. Actually, I read an, an article on my former home, DauberHockey.com, written by one of their writers, Ryan Ma. And it was about making a trade that's a win-win and that you don't really gain anything in the long run if you make a trade that you win and the other guy loses. So the idea is first to identify what you need And then the second step is to identify what you have too much of. And then the third step is to synthesize that information and find a team that's a good match as a trading partner who has what you need and doesn't have what you have too much of. It sounds really obvious when you just state it that way, but I think a lot of the time people sort of fall in love with a player. They don't do their research on what the team that they want to trade with might need And so they end up targeting a player from a team that has no interest in trading them and maybe sometimes with a bonkers offer too. The tricky part, once you find that team, and what I have a hard time with is still you you sort of have to guess at what they want. And I find it easier to actually establish contact with them. So send an email or tweet at them and just say, I want to trade with you. I'm looking at these guys here's what I'd like to offer. Is there anyone on my roster that you're looking at? And then you can see if they're going to be ridiculous about it. Maybe they're going to say they're not interested in training that guy at all. 
And that way you've saved yourself some time. Okay, so a very direct approach. I like that. All right, so at this point, let's move away from our leagues. I'd just be curious to know, Brian, who are some players that you think should be on people's watch lists, players to keep an eye on at this point in the season? Well, he might already be gone in your league, but Michael Bourneval on Montreal has eight points in his last 11 games, four goals and four assists. He's playing on the first line alongside Plakenitz and Gianta. He's not quite seeing first-line minutes, though. He played only 13 in last week's game versus Ottawa, and in the last three games, he has no power play time. So maybe if you have already picked him up, you can trade him to a Habs fan. If not, keep an eye on him and see if he starts getting power play time again soon. All right, that's interesting. Yeah, he got picked up in my league by a Habs fan who dropped Killorn, and that's why Killorn was available for me to pass on, and he got picked up by someone else. Oh, man, homerism kills, I think. So another guy is Vladimir Tarasenko, who might be available in your league. He scored in four consecutive games in early October, but he's only got one goal in his last 10 games. And he's he's lucky in a way because nobody's noticed, well, all the other Blues are scoring. But right now he's averaging less than 15 minutes of ice time, fewer than two shots a game, and playing with two other guys who aren't putting up much offense, uh, Patrick Berglund and Jaden Schwartz. So if someone has gotten impatient with him and he's available, maybe not jump on him yet, but monitor the situation. Tarasenko, I remember last year at the beginning of the year, he- was so hot and he was doing so well and he got grabbed by everybody. But since then, you don't really hear much about him. No, St. Louis has really emerged. I mean, they they have a really strong forward group, especially with Alex Steen being, being the latest one to make a real big impact. Speaking of impact players from last year, if you're surprised that Brad Marchand isn't replicating his success, then you probably just weren't paying attention in the offseason. He's still a decent pickup. Because Louis Erickson is back, which means he's playing alongside Erickson and Patrice Bergeron. And he's got a modest two-game point streak going. Keep your expectations tempered, but if he's available in your league because of the way he's played so far, he's still worth a look. Don't expect what he did last year. Expect maybe, you know, 10 to 20 points less, but that's still a respectable total. So at the risk of sounding like one of these guys who you say wasn't paying attention, why did he do so well last year as opposed to this year? Just because last year his shooting percentage was kind of high, he had a point-per-game pace that was higher than any other prior season in his career, and also it was a shorter season. So somebody doing something uncharacteristic in a 48-game season just sort of raises a red flag and, and makes you wonder exactly if that's something that he's going to do in a normal season. Right, but hey, maybe still a buy-low candidate, like you're saying, since he hasn't been doing too well, but now he's going to be playing with Erickson, who's back. And then finally, one guy who I've been watching all season and seeing nothing happening is Steven Weiss, who is maybe the fantasy disappointment of the year. He was a dependable 50 to 60 point guy on weak Florida Panthers teams. Then he goes to a better Detroit team and he's disappeared. To date, he has two goals and one assist in 17 games played and he's barely getting one shot each game. Mind you, in the same amount of time last year, he had only one more point four points in 17 games. His PDO is right around 1,000, so it's not an issue of bad luck. He's even seen plenty of offensive zone starts in almost one-third of his team's power play time. His line mates, Alverton and Cleary, aren't likely the problem either. Everything just points to him just not being very good so far. So a couple weeks ago, I'd have said buy low or take a chance on him, but at this point, it's anyone's guess, so maybe keep watching, but not very closely. Right, yeah, he's a free agent in my league, and I haven't 
heard anyone mention anything about having any interest in him. I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. But speaking of free agent Detroit Red Wings, Johan Franzen was dropped in my league recently. And I actually, this is giving me deja vu because I remember last year you dropped Johan Franzen when you were in my league and I swiped him and he ended up doing pretty well for the rest of the season. Do you think he's someone that I should grab now that he's available? I know he's on the IR right now, but he should be coming back, I think, in a week or so. Yeah, I think he's sort of got a reputation for being a little streaky. And if you're in a head-to-head league, that's dangerous. In a roto league, he's a safer bet. But he's a goal scorer, and that's not just going to disappear. So if he's better than your worst player, then yeah, take him. All right, yeah. I was interested when I saw him dropped. Another player who I see as being very interesting is Charlie Coyle on Minnesota. He just came back from an injury recently, and he was immediately put on the top line on Minnesota with Miku Koivu and Zach Parisi. So do you think that he's someone that people should be taking a look at? Well, the first line is exactly where he was supposed to be before he got injured at the start of the season. And yeah, he's playing between Miku Koivu and Zach Parisi recently. I actually have him on my team. Somebody dropped him. When he got injured, I picked him up and put him in one of my IR slots, and I've been rewarded since. A first-line player with two world-class linemates is not somebody to just forget about. If you have room on your roster, I would grab him before somebody else does. Interesting. Okay, and the one last player I wanted to ask you about is Scott Hartnell, who is a free agent, and he's, you know, he's a big name. He's had some amazing years previously. This year he's done nothing, but that doesn't really say much considering no one on the Flyers, including Claude Giroux, has done anything. Do you think it's time to pick up Scott Hartnell before he goes back to how he was a couple of years ago, getting 70-so points? Yeah, well, like I said earlier in the show, I tried to trade for Wayne Simons, or as you might say, Simmons. I'm not sure. I'll hedge my bets on both pronunciations. Anyway... I tried to get him. I think just about every flyer is a buy-low candidate. I mean, maybe they're not any better than their record shows, but several of their players are better than their stat line shows. Like you said, Claude Giroux um, and Scott Hartnell, for sure. Actually, there's a great article on a hockey prospectus by Ryan Schweppfinger. Maybe we can post the link in the show notes. And he calls Hartnell one of his favorite buy-low candidates in hockey to this point. And what he points out is that the Flyers' shooting percentage as a team when Hartnell is on the ice is only 1.8%. So that means for every 100 shots that the Flyers put on net with Hartnell on the ice, they're only scoring on two of them. And that's a pace that's not sustainable. Usually that'll go up to maybe, you know, you can count on that being somewhere between 8 and 10%. So right now, I think he's a victim of bad shooting luck. He's also got an excellent relative coursey number which without getting into too much means that when he's on the ice his team is in control of play and driving possession and getting scoring chances most likely so scott hartnell definite by low candidate interesting yeah i didn't know where you were gonna go with that because <laughs> he really has done nothing this year i thought you'd be like stay away from scott hartnell but okay i'll have to keep my eye on him some very interesting free agents Curious to see which of these will be people I talk about next week as people who were picked up in my league, maybe by me or maybe by someone else. Yeah, well, two goals in 12 games doesn't really inspire confidence. But again, I mentioned the team's on-ice shooting percentage. He's only shooting 6.5%. He's got two goals on 31 shots. In his career, that's about half his career number. So I would expect at this point 
it's just a matter of bad luck, which means it's just a matter of time before he starts putting up numbers as he used to. All right, so I want to close out the show, but let's just do one quick segment, which we introduced last week, Sustainable or Fleeting, where we mention a player, and then you say whether his numbers are sustainable or fleeting. So someone acting out of the norm. Well, I guess we kind of have been talking about all players who are acting out of the norm, like Scott Hartnell. But I specifically wanted to ask you this week about Yuri Hoodler, on fire for the Calgary Flames. No one going into the season would have predicted these numbers from Hoodler. Is he going to be able to keep it up? So let's state his numbers first. He's got six goals and 13 assists for 19 points in his first 17 games with 30 shots on goal and one blocked shot. Okay. <laughs> don't count on him for blocks. That's all right. I'm more impressed with his 19 points in 17 games, if you don't mind. Well, what I see here is that he's starting significantly more often in the offensive zone than last year. He's taking faceoffs in the offensive zone 37.5% of the time, which is a Really good number, which means he's getting favorable matchups. His defensive zone start number is low. He's also getting 63% of his team's power play time. In Detroit, I don't think he ever really got the credit he was due because of all the people around him. But now he's the guy in Calgary. Last year, he had 27 points in 42 games, which isn't the pace he's putting up this year. Keep in mind, he's shooting about 20% right now, which is about 6% higher than his career rate. So I don't think he'll keep up this over a point per game pace, especially as the Calgary Flames eventually cool off as we still expect them to. But I still would count on him to be a reliable scorer on the team to still get a lot of good minutes in the offensive zone, be counted on for power play time and continue to produce for all his fantasy owners. All right. So you say sustainable-ish. Yes, sustainable-ish. Yeah, he's still going to be really good, but probably don't expect a point per game. Well, that was very helpful, Brian. Thank you so much for taking the time this week. Hey, thank you for taking the time this week. Yeah, well, my time's not over. I got to edit this show. Oh, well, thanks to the listeners for taking the time this week. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Anyways, don't worry about us. We're fine. I, I have the time to edit. Don't you guys worry. What you should worry about, though, is winning your league. And if you want to do so... Keep listening to Keeping Carlson Podcast. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at Keeping Carlson. Like I mentioned at the beginning, you could send us fantasy questions. We'll answer them. And yeah, that's pretty much it. We'll catch you next week with another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast. See you later. See you next week.